Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Uh, it's Kickstart for March 29th, but it is the last Kickstart for Dark Disney March. Right? I can't believe the whole month is gone. It's, it's fucking weird. Yeah, man. It was our own March Madness on Karate in the Garage where we covered uh, a period of time for Disney that was considered Dark Disney and, and tone of the movies and where the company was going with a little extra sprinkle of Sword in the Stone from the 60s thrown in there for good measure. Yeah. If you haven't had a chance to listen to them, cherry pick them if you want. Um, sometimes they're kind of self-referential to previous episodes, so you may not know certain you things. You may be like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> Ironically, that into that? yeah, hey, big surprise, everybody. We mentioned Silver Bullet in an episode. Yeah, shocking. <laughs> hey, but it took a whole month before before we got there. So yeah, right, right, yeah. for sure. Well, I think maybe, well, maybe we, we didn't did. hit it out of the gate. I don't think <laughs> we could have. I don't remember. Maybe. So over the period of time that we we uh, Dark Disney, we covered Return to Oz, Sword in the Stone, Black Cauldron, and last week we closed it out with uh, Bray Bradbury, Bradbury's. Something wicked this way comes. And I stumbled over that shit last week, too, because I can't fucking say Ray Bradbury. It's a lot to say because it's close to Easter and you might want to say Cadbury. <laughs> mm, Cadbury. Ray Cadbury. By the way, apparently there's a shortage of Reese's peanut butter eggs. Right. Someone stole them all. It's a giant conspiracy. What the fuck, man? I don't know. I don't. I will argue this until I'm blue in the face. Reese's peanut butter eggs. Uh, the Christmas trees, the pumpkins, the you know, jack-o'-lanterns that they have at Halloween, they all are better than regular peanut butter cups. I, I don't know yeah, what it is. Yeah, of course. I guess because the peanut butter ratio. They're to sprinkled with is- holiday magic. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Corey. Figure it out. It's not that hard. Uh, <laughs> whatever. But I'm angry, man. Uh, hey, dude, this sound, it sounds like something, you know, like a plot for Despicable Me 5. <laughs> Where are the peanut butter eggs? The third Despicable Me kills me, dude, because, dude, Trey Parker, I still, to me, that's a stroke of genius having Trey Parker come and voice the villain on Despicable Me 3. I just thought that was fucking so smart. I, I feel like the only time a studio movie comes out with Trey's name on it is something that they're being forced contractually to put out because Trey and Matt have some deal on their end of the year. They're, uh, they're pulling their, their card and saying, this is, we're doing this. Because they, they don't do it. I mean, when was the last time they did a feature? Was Team America, right? Oh, God, yeah. 2007, 2006. Yeah. So that was it. Or, God, maybe even before that. It yeah. seems like I met, that's like 2003. And they're killing it. <laughs> they, they, they've been killing on South Park for years. And I know it's one of those shows, like The Simpsons, where people come and go. The last four or five seasons of the show have been so brilliant. And they did this thing that they'd never done before. But I think it was like four seasons ago, five seasons ago where they went and made it all serialized the whole season. Because they're usually all these one-offs and topical. This was topical and had a through line. And that was, you know, Garrison running for president being Trump. It was pretty fucking great. And then that kind of carried over to the recent two specials. They had the pandemic special and then they had the vaccination special, which just premiered a couple of weeks ago. And the vaccination special is the best because now Garrison is no longer the president and he goes back home and people are trying to deal with him not being president anymore. It, and it's really fucking funny because South Park. And if you ask if they're still funny, yes, as ever. And they're they're pretty great. But yeah, dude, I think for the whole month of Dark Disney, I think we really found ourselves, and you can hear this in every episode, 
I, I guess it's funny, a little ironic that it made us want to go and pick up a book every four, all, all four movies. <laughs> sure. To go like, read more. Once a week, read a book, read a book. Yeah, I can't think that I've ever experienced that where I saw four movies, almost in a row, because I don't think I said, I saw very much in between all these, except for shoving Zack Snyder in between our third and fourth movies, mostly because it kind of took two days to finish. Right. It's kind of like reading a book. <laughs> like reading an encyclopedia encyclopedia of DC characters. Wait, who the fuck's that guy? Pause Google search. <laughs> I'm kidding. I knew who Martian Manhunter was. And where was Apache chief? I, I, I called nonsense on that. Uh, Martian Manhunter. I'm ruining shit for you. No, you're not. I, I no, knew, no, I, I mean for the audience oh, that cares. Oh, 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 <laughs> right. No, I already knew about it anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, cause I look, I was a DC. I mean, it's really sad for me. Cause if I, if I was like when I was a kid, I was a DC guy, uh, more than a Marvel guy at times, yeah. I guess for the most part, if you made me rock, paper, scissor it eight times out of 10, I would say it's DC. I, I was a big fan of the Marvel. What if stuff for sure. But, uh, most of the time, you know, I spent watching DC and it's probably because I've super friends <laughs> Saturday morning. It was ingrained into my brain right. at a very early age. One of the yeah, one of the things they did because used to have like these PSA type things at the end of you know there were yeah. there were bumpers for the show, and totally. one of the things, one of the ones I always remember, and I still it's in my it's in, built into my psyche now because I think about it all the time if I get something in my eye, there's <laughs> the setup is is that some kid is is running around with his friends and it's super windy out and he gets something in his matches eye. oh <laughs> no, he gets something in his eye. And Wonder Woman comes up and goes, oh, don't rub your eye. Right. <laughs> it explained to you how, what you do to get the thing out of your eye. Nope. Or, just don't uh, rub it. Don't rub it. Just, you know, close your eye and pull the corner. And then eventually, if you catch, if you pull the corner of your eye, where the skin is, it'll eventually move the thing over and not scratch your eye too much. Sure. Just don't pull it too hard or you'll rip your eyelid off. And that's a bad look. <laughs> that's not a good look for anybody. And then you got a whole bunch of shit getting into your eye at that point. Yeah, right. And then everything gets in your eye. <laughs> so maybe rubbing it's not so bad. <laughs> and I don't think all four episodes, I think we actually mentioned going back and watch it again. I don't know if you did on any of them, but the one I did watch again was uh, the black cauldron. Oh yeah. Me too. I, I did watch the black cauldron again. Yeah. I had to. It was um, after, you know, cutting the episode after talking about it and then cutting the episode and listening to the episode. And yeah, I, don't, I know it sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. I listen to my own episode. I do it because I, I, I have to check things out to make sure that they're, they're fine. I'm not that much of a narcissist. I'm really not, but I'm glad I did for uh, something wicked last week because <laughs> I completely cut your voice out at one point. Right. You're just talking to yourself. Yeah. I was responding to a ghost. In the narcissist. <laughs> It was so how narcissistic terrible. is that? Yeah, I'm like, man, narcissist would have been just leaving it like, oh, yeah, who cares? Nobody cares. That's just me talking. No one gives a shit what Freddie's saying anyway. It's probably something <laughs> stupid. Oh, uh, it was something dumb. No, it was no, actually, totally it was, dumb. <laughs> it was a great point uh, about about. If you want to know what it was, it was about four and a half minutes in. If you listen to the episode. And Freddie and I were talking about Gene Kelly directing the movie and you asked me if it was going to be a musical and all you hear is me responding to you about the musical, but you never hear me ask, you ever hear you asking the question. Right. And I sound like a fucking lunatic. So, <laughs> so 
Uh, believe me, look, I, I, I have a long drive to work. I talk to myself a lot in the car. Sure. Who doesn't? I make lots of voice notes in, in while I'm driving. Story ideas, podcast ideas, <laughs> stupid shit. We had a really fun month with with the Dark Disney and and uh, I mean overall, what was your take? I mean, I know we kind of talk about it a little bit with Thursday show. We you know we kind of like we're trying to adjust to watching something that wasn't under had a Disney logo on it <laughs> or under eighty minutes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the thing the thing I take away from most of them is uh, well, mostly the first two, but I guess uh, even something Wicked is what ninety just over ninety. Uh, no, it was one or was it? No, it felt long. Yeah, it was I think after. Minutes. I think it was right. Yeah. But two of the four movies definitely felt you know breezy and economical. But still, you still got all the story. And they, funny enough, they cut sections out of both of them, um, which is weird. But not really. It's funny. Uh, like I went back to watch the Black Cauldron after we talked because I wanted to see what I was trying to imagine in my mind what was so dark that <laughs> they had to cut it out because they left all that other dark shit in. Um, but I, I don't know that any of the stuff that we had discovered that they left out really adds to the story or subtracts to the story. So, you know, maybe it was a time thing and, you know, kids, time, you know, kids attention spans. We got to see some details of things that were cut, but it didn't, unless you see it, I mean, it, there were some pretty fucked up things in the movie and from the standpoint of an eight year old seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> Or a seven-year-old or a six-year-old, but we we criticized the the the, the movie poster for being so un-Disney-like and not selling what you're seeing. But maybe that was completely intentional to deter people from seeing it as if it was a normal Disney animated movie. I don't know. It definitely was a standout from any animated movie they had done before that. You know, there was always this whimsical, sure, you know, type of thing that always could be hung on a you know on a fun melody of music even if it wasn't a musical, but this was not that movie. No. This was very much, um, like we talked about at the end of that episode, that, that's a live action movie and was being, was begged to be made. Oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, if they did, if they were going to, you know, you guys want to remake one of your animated movies, you're doing all of them anyway. Why don't you remake that one? Um, yeah. Because the ones that you're making, because they kind of suck. The, the, and that was another thing too. This was a time, and I, I know we don't mention this, but like the early 80s, 80. 80 through like 83 there were lots of live action yeah uh low budget fantasy movies lots of sword and sorcerer type of things sure so, man I, I think this was them trying to dip their toe in the in the water but yeah they had the rights fist for a while so out of the four movies i think return was the only thing we had seen more than once right correct yeah Re yeah i mean return to oz i've seen like more times than i can count i hadn't seen something wicked God, I remember I told you I tried yeah. to watch it like in 2000 and I just couldn't, couldn't get through it. But I don't know if that was just because of the, the time or I don't know why, but I remember being like, oh man, this is not that good. But uh, watching it and talking to me is better than I remembered it from then. Oh yeah. Especially watching it on another level. But Sword in the Stone, I hadn't seen, like, you know, since like fucking fifth grade, sixth grade, right. <laughs> like we talked about. So yeah, man. And I had seen it multiple times, but not in 40 years. So, I mean, the, the only one I really had in my brain, you know, that I could basically walk you through if you wanted me to tell you that if you wanted me to go and give you the order of the story, I could probably <laughs> do that with Oz easily, but the rest of them, nah, I could pick out moments of them, but uh, especially the Black Cauldron, I hadn't seen it since uh, in 1980. 
whenever five, five, <laughs> yeah, of course. We can pre- yeah, we can sit there pretend like well, I don't remember what year it is because we don't want to be reminded that we, <laughs> we have to meet our nineteen eighty five quota. We we reached that already for the entire year already. Sure, man. <laughs> it's the number twenty three. Yeah, twenty three, twenty three. Michael cut. Jordan's number. That's why I love 1985 so much. If you add them all up, it comes to 23. I think I mentioned this one briefly in the episode, but I actually have a, a couple things and I'm not going to lament about them too much because I haven't gone back to revisit them, but they've made me want to, to revisit them after all of our discussions in March. One of them is Escape from Witch Mountain. Right. And that's the sequel. <laughs> Or for the, the escape from which mountain, escape to which mountain, both of them. I was in so enamored of Kim Richards at this point. Anything she did, I was like going, oh my gosh. If I saw her, her, you know, that show up on, on ABC or wherever the hell it was on, I think it was ABC would show it. She was on Hello Larry. Yeah, that's right. Her and um, yeah, NBC. Yeah. She was, uh, yeah, McLean Stevenson's daughter, Ruthie. Yeah. I love that show too. Right. What's your face played the sister, right? From, from the first angel, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, what's uh, funny is Joanna Gleason, uh, who plays Larry's boss uh, at the radio station. Do you know that she is the daughter of Monty Hall? Because I didn't. <laughs> For a Until long time, now. I did not know. <laughs> yeah, crazy, right? Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. The Witch Mountain movies are, to me, they're, 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 they're that thing. And, it was, and I, should, I should call it, I make sure I read words right. It's Escape to Witch Mountain and Return for Witch Mountain. Return is the sequel. And yes. how can you not love that? Dude, it has Christopher Lee in it and it's got Betty Davis in it. I'm, yeah. Dude, so fucking good. And this is a name you saw a lot back then. What was the kid that played the brother? Ike Eisen. Ike Eisenman. Ike Eisenman. Yeah. Yeah. That dude was in everything in the 70s. Oh, yeah, totally. Funny thing is his brother, Al, is a prop, uh, prop master oh, right on. <laughs> who I've worked with. And you, when you see him, you definitely could tell that they're related. Yeah, if you've seen the Race to Witch Mountain trailers years ago, or maybe you even seen the movie from 2009, this is not, it's, it's sort of a remake of the movie with, with Dwayne Johnson. This is when he was still on using The Rock. I don't think he was going by Dwayne Johnson yet, was he? No, he was still The Rock. I think we may have changed some things. I think it might it might be categorized. They became Dwayne once he joined the Fast and Furious uh, yeah. universe. Yeah, and Carlo Cagino is in this, which is great because they're both married in San Andreas. So I thought it was kind of funny, a little reunion with San Andreas. And I didn't remember that being, I thought they were, that was the first time they appeared together in a movie, but it was not. But but those Witch Mountain movies, I didn't. I didn't see the 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 remake. I don't want to say it was a sequel. They were smart enough not to call it the same thing. This one. Yeah, and he's in it. Ike makes a cameo. In, oh, does uh, he? Right on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I forget mm-hmm. the kid's name. The blonde-headed kid. He's in something else too. The 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 plays his part in this movie. Oh, Alexander Ludwig. Yeah, that's him. Ludwig. 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 Come here. So yeah, dude. Both those movies were so big to me, and they were uber dark man because kim richard oh, yeah. was a baby oh yeah man you know they had there was a three-year gap between escape and return and they had they were considerably older i mean you could they were at sure. those ages where you they, I mean, they aged right well like we talked about in something wicked you know you know six months goes by when you're that age and you know suddenly you're a foot taller and yep Exactly. Girls wearing, bra- girls got braces, things like that. Yeah, both Ike and Kim, when you see Escape, I mean, they were like, 
<laughs> they look like they're teenagers. Well, I think I probably was a teenager. Kim, not yet with Return. But both those movies are so fun. They're both on, on Disney+. Plus. And actually, Race to Witch Mountain is also there, too. And it, they're just... This is why I was saying during during Something Wicked, it wasn't weird that they would, would delve into this stuff because they'd already been there. They'd already been there in the mid-70s. and Sure. And, and, and the focal point is is kids, too. But they were never... The kids were really in distress. You know, they were... They had the right. capabilities of getting away with stuff because they had supernatural powers, but... Dude, both, I, I love the shit of both those movies. And it reminded me while I was kind of scrolling through all the Disney Plus movies, how much of our childhood that we refer to, not with specific movies, but when I'm watching it, I'm like going, oh man, they used to show these during Wonderful World of Disney all the time. <laughs> and, oh yeah, and absolutely, man. Sunday nights. Sunday nights. So anyway, there, those are my, uh, you know, additions. If we had done... If we had chosen to do Dark Disney Quarter instead of just a month, this is, right. this is these are two movies I definitely would have added. So enjoy that stuff because and they're and they're super. These movies are super brisk. They run they run ninety to hundred minutes, but they they move so fast because they understand that the kids are their main audience, and you can't fuck around. You can't dick around with too much story. You got to get to nope. the point and keep them you know, into the movie. And then kids for, love a good chase for me to remember that from six, seven, eight years old. That says a lot about that. Right. I was going to throw one last thing about Ike Eisenman. Uh, he is in a, he is in Star Trek Two: the wrath of Khan. Yes, he is he the is. young, uh, he is the young uh, crew member who is, who dies during the attack. Uh, the attack that damages the reactor on the enterprise. Yep. I always remember being, sh- when I saw it as a kid being like, Hey man, it's Tony. Hey, and, and he's all, and he's all super charred on the side of his face. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so my two, uh, if I had to throw in two more, uh, dark Disney's, if we went, if we did, if we were to go another month, first one, not shocking is from 1985. And it's The Journey of Natty Gann, starring Meredith Salinger, John Cusack, and Ray Wise. Uh, Sk- Scatman Crothers is in it, uh, Berna Bloom, uh, Lainey Kazan. But uh, the reason I, that I think you know it qualifies as a dark Disney movie, it came out during the same time period. I think it was kind of a critical success, but not a box office success. It's very grim. I mean, it does have a happy ending, but there's some scary moments, man. You know, uh, it's it's about a girl who, Nettie Gann, who uh, during the Depression in the 30s uh, basically has to go on the road uh, to, you know, to find her father who had to leave uh, to go make money for the family. If that's not dark, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> it's grim, man. I, you know, I mean, maybe you disagree, but it's one of those movies. And it was my introduction to Meredith Salinger. It right. was uh, early Cusack. I think maybe it came out before The Sure Thing, Stand By Me. Basically, it's almost the same kind of role that he plays in Stand By Me, screen time-wise. Natty Gann was one of those movies. My, I, and, I, and I probably discovered home video. No, never, never seen it in a theater, but it's a movie my brother and I, we, we, we would rent it, you know, we rented it multiple times, but it falls into that dark Disney because it also came out in that mid eighties when Disney was making films, maybe they didn't know who their audience was or their audience, you know, people just weren't, uh, people weren't ready for Disney to be making these kind of movies. It's okay if you were like Fox or Warner brothers to be making similar movies to this Sony, but Disney, you know, people were still looking at Disney for like, Hey man, what happened to these cute cartoons <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. But to me, this fits right in with the other things we talked about 
not only subject matter, but kind of timeline, studio, things going on at the studio. So uh, that would be my first one. Yeah, you probably agree. I mean, don't you think that that's a dark Disney title for many reasons? We, we talked about, about Natty Gant early on before we had picked all of our movies. And like I, we had mentioned at one point, the first two came boom, boom. And then, the, and then we kind of worked around some other ones. And we debated this one before we settled on the four. I think we went for like tone. I think we went for for tone instead of saying just because it was during that period, we couldn't lean on the tone so much. But yeah, I feel like this movie would have been a touch. I think this is the kind of movie that made them go, we need another outlet without the Disney logo on it. Yeah. Right. For the for, for stuff. And this is why, my opinion, this is what led to not, I mean, we were, we were already touched on was already kind of in motion. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that led them to say, you know what, we need more than just one one branch off this tree. We need another one. And I mean, this is a wonderful movie. Like you said, Meredith Salinger, if you didn't like completely fall in love with how how strong of a performer was at that age, it's. Yeah. We can talk about dream and dream a little dream all you want, man. But this movie is the one. Right. That, like you said, introduced us to her and she's fucking amazing in it. Yeah, it's it's a really, you know, it's a, it's one of those movies that, like, I think about 80s movies. It's a movie that pops into my head all the time, right in smack dab in the middle of the 80s, but still set in the, you know, set in the 30s. It's got all of the, all the touchstones of, of the 80s. John Cusack, Ray Wise, pre-Laura Palmer's dad, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Scatman Crothers, post The Shining, Kid on a Journey, but still, uh, it, it just, you know, it fits neatly into that category. I would certainly put it in there. It's not maybe as dark as the rest of them, but it does have some scary, some dark moments where you're, you know, you, you're feeling, you know, you, you're feeling angst for the main character, Natty. And uh, it's another one of those movies that it's for kids, but, you know, as an adult, you, you I think you probably enjoy it. I agree. And Natty Gann might be just because maybe the time of life that it came into our lives. I think that's probably why it's been such a, uh, an infectious part of, you know, again, when you think of Meredith Salinger, even before I think of Dream a Little Dream, I think of this. Yeah, me too. I mean, and I love, you know, she's unbelievably gorgeous in Dream a Little Dream, but this is the, you know, the movie that I was like, wow, that girl is amazing. You know, so there's one. My second one is, Carol Ballard's uh, Never Cry Wolf, which I think maybe we talked about briefly before at some point. 1983, Charles Martin Smith and Brian Dennehy. Never Cry Wolf, man, is another weird movie for Disney, which probably led them to think, man, we need to start another arm. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to say, well, critically acclaimed, and man, I can't tell you how many times I saw this movie, and strictly because it was it ran on HBO six times a day when, you know, when cable first burst onto the scene, you, you, you had like 12 movies that would play over the week, over the month and they'd be on four times a day. Yeah. And every time I'd turn on the TV, never cry wolf was on. So I remember it very well, but you know, it fits into the dark Disney. I don't think that it was a big box office hit for Disney critically acclaimed. Yes. In certain circles, but the subject matter again, yes, you, you do. There is a, there is a, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but man, the tunnel is dark on the yeah. way. And there's some, you know, there's some frightening moments in there with him uh, on the ice. And it's another title. Probably people don't associate with Disney, but it is Disney from that time period, which, you know, we've named dark Disney. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is another thing. And I think this is on Disney plus 
Uh, I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure I saw it on there because I thought, man, I should watch that again. I haven't seen it in ages. I haven't seen it in at least 20 years, maybe 30, you know, mid 90s, probably the last time. If you haven't seen that, uh, it's a great movie. Not a big cast. There's really only two names in it that you'll recognize. I think there's eight, eight cast members in total. It's definitely on the darker side. On the dark side? <laughs> Don't, think Don't get me started. I'm not gonna. Why? Well, I mean, I did though, but that's all right. You're showing restraint. That's good. <laughs> you, you, you served it. You lobbed it up there. Uh, I did. Yeah. So, you know, those are my two picks. Jan- Nettie Gann and Never Cry Wolf would be my next two if we did a Dark Disney revisit. And I think, you know, when we come back and do, uh, an, uh, you know, another another month of Dark Disney, I think for us talking about it, we, we kind of feel like, I think Dark Disney is anything they thought was going to be a massive hit turned into not be that. Sure. You know, that's easy to do because a lot of those movies came <laughs> and they kind of fit again, as long as it came from Touchstone or from Hollywood Pictures, it still fits. But I mean, but it, they also do, they're all sort of more darker. They have a darker yeah. theme and they're, they're more adult oriented coming out of Disney. Right. Young adult maybe, but still like there's a little edge to them. Because, you know, I could rattle off a couple more that are really disaster, box office disasters, Tron, Black Hole. But I won't talk right. about them anymore. Right. <laughs> hey, right after we recorded last week, the the rule of threes came into play for celebrity passings, and I, I know we talked about it's, it's just a week. Rem- I mean, as soon as we finished, a, you know, our little tribute to Yafit Koto, we learned some inform- stuff that happened afterwards, and we're like uh, Elgin Baylor well-known as a NBA player, uh, GM for, for the LA Clippers for years. Um, he passed away on, I mean, like hours, right? They announced the hours after we finished recording. And I mean, he was 86. He wasn't, you know, he, <laughs> he lived a real long life, but this one, we didn't see him play very much. You know, I was like three, two, three years old when he was still playing. But his key really is in his name in LA sports really comes from, you know, being a GM. And that's, the, I mean, anytime I watch, you know, sports highlights or sports center, his name was always yep. out there between September and, and June because of the ineptitude of the Clippers. Usually, uh, yeah. usually it was like, <laughs> that's what the Clippers have number one pick overall. And <laughs> exactly. Uh, every, every, every June when the draft came, uh, you know, Elgin was right up there uh, first round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he had a short you know. stint too, as a coach, he was a uh, part of, he was assistant coach for the new Orleans jazz in the mid seventies before they moved to Utah. Right. And uh, he was assistant um, his head coach got fired and he became the interim and then he got hired full time as the coach a couple of years later. Yeah. And they had one other coach fill in between them, but really his, I mean, he was 11 time NBA all-star and one of those years, his first year as, as an NBA all-star was the, as the MVP of the game. He was, he was 10 times all NBA first team. And again, of course, big surprise after mentioning being NBA all-star in 59, that was his rookie season. And he was of course rookie of the year. Um, he has his, his uh, number is retired. Number twenty two is retired with the Lakers because he came. Yes, it is. He was part of the team that came from Milwaukee to Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, even though we didn't really see him play, he was very much part of of Los Angeles professional athletics, and it shows, man. He just Lakers, but he was the Clippers guy, and and he's he was a staple in my youth and in my early yeah. adulthood because 
he was very much a name you've heard constantly because you paid attention to sports. Elgin Baylor was Michael Jordan before there was Michael Jordan. I mean, he was that kind of acrobatic, eye-popping athleticism. I mean, the guy was, he was, you know, he was the first of that kind. Uh, You know, he was definitely one of the guys that when, when the game of basketball started to change, Elgin was right there at the front and, you know, he was voted to the all NBA first 50 years, top players. I, I mean, I could go on and on and on. He was part of, you know, he played with Walt Chamberlain. He played with Jerry West. Uh, there'd be no Michael, no magic, no LeBron. I mean, you know, Elgin was that guy before all those guys, right. before some of them were even born. <laughs> I mean, maybe all of them, uh, maybe, except maybe, well, maybe not magic. Maybe magic was born. Maybe magic was born <laughs> before Eldon won <laughs> rookie of the year. I don't remember, but uh, yeah, man, it, it was, uh, it was, it was really a kind of a shocking sudden weird thing to see. Uh, I hadn't really thought about Elgin Baylor for a bit because he's such a staple here in Los Angeles sports. So man, RIP. Yeah. Elgin Baylor. We, uh, we, we've talked a little before about how, how we're big Archer fans. And I think it just on off the cuff recently, I said, we need, we need a new season of Archer. And I think we were both like, yeah, we do. Oh, we are. We're going to get one more season later in the year. And we just found out that they had just completed all the, the, all the voice work for for the season, which is always the first thing you do in most animated productions. But we also found out that the matriarch of Mallory Archer and of course um, Arrested Development, um, Mama Bluth, Jessica Walter passed last week. And uh, that one was a, she just turned 80 in January, but still she's been nonstop. Like since since she had her career resurgence with Arrested, you know, she's just, she's been working and working and working. I can't, have you ever seen an episode of Archer where you're like, where's Mallory at? Where's she in there to come bust Archer's balls? Because he needs it. Yeah, he needs it. Um, Jessica, who most notably for, for Arrested and for Archer, but for the world, it was her starring opposite Clint Eastwood for Play Misty for me, where yep. she got herself a Golden Globe nomination for that. And she, fuck, dude, if you don't just go, this woman is going to be have an amazing career. Once you see that movie back then, then you're just not paying attention to the movie. She's wonderful in it. Um, she's also in Grand Prix. Yes, she plays James Garner's uh, love. I was just going to say, and dude, she is so freaking hot in that movie. <laughs> I mean, oh she, my she's gosh, she's beautiful. Yes. I mean, it's yeah. funny because, you know, most people just know her as Archer and everybody, they kind of make all these jokes about, you know, the, the old sexed up broad. But look, I'm yeah. just saying, man, <laughs> that reputation is earned and carried like through. I mean, she was a beautiful woman. Yeah. She's great in Grand Prix. And that's 66, maybe. I mean, she had a long storied career. Yeah. And will definitely be missed. Yeah. She was super, super funny. And for the, for those of you that kind of grew up or grew up or, or living out here during the early nineties, you know, late eighties, early nineties, you would know you, and you were into screenwriting, you would know a guy named Richard Walter. And he was a, he was the screenwriter, one of the screenwriting instructors over UCLA film school. That's her brother. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't discover this until like mid midway through Arrested Development back then that Richard and Jessica were brother and sister. So it shows all in the family kind of thing, but she was 
Arrested Development, I know people talk about watching The Office. They'll just put The Office on and let it play and play. Arrested and Archer, I can just play them and I can just have them on the background like it's music. And I don't need to always see the, I don't need to always see it. I can see them enough times where I can visualize what's going on without having to, especially, I mean, Archer, man, Archer's a radio play with, with pretty pictures in front of me. It, 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 it works without it, without seeing the visual. And she was such, she's such a standout in it, you know, in for no, like we, we've all seen Arrested. We've all seen Archer. So yeah, watch Play Missy for me. I have a feeling that even though that's a name that people recognize when they hear it, a lot of people haven't seen it. You can really see her shine in that. But like you said, Grand Prix, she was, yeah, like you noted, <laughs> during Archer, they always point back to that, her, how she was always like, <laughs> she was that sexy agent. And, and, uh, they're kind of leaning the a, little, a little, yeah, they're leaning a little bit on <laughs> 50 years ago. Yeah. She was, yeah. <laughs> so good. But no, she was super wonderful. I was really, I was really saddened to hear that she had passed, but you know, Lucio Bluth is, it was for a lot of people there, the introduction to, to Jessica. <laughs> oh, look at, they're going at it. They're upset too. They are. They don't like it. It's it's a bummer. This one, this one, this one kind of stings a little bit. Not unlike. Um, well, I'm going to make a segue right here, my friend, because yes, it's yeah. Go uh, for it. She also played Eve Gallo, the ex-wife of Jack Gallo, played by George Siegel on Just Shoot Me. There you go. And they had and they were in a movie together too. Bye Bye Braverman, Sidney Lumet movie. Yes. And which leads us to <laughs> this one. This one. <sighs> excuse me. This one sucks. Totally. This one sucks across the board. And then when you add into the fact that it wasn't the circumstances in which he passed, just makes you just feel fucking just breaks your heart more. Speaking of people that have been part of our lives for, for a long time, I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't know who George Siegel was. Right. Me neither, man. And this one fucking this one just kicks you in the ass. This is a man that's had how many careers over the years? I mean, it just, he, he comes back in season like every 10 years. If I feel like he gets, yeah. Somebody right. goes for, for the last 70 years. <laughs> somebody just goes, what about George Siegel? And then, uh, yeah. I mean, you know who he, would make this awesome? George Siegel. Yep. And he does. He makes every, what okay, you, you and I both know him from a lot of movies. Sure. Um, but for, and I think you're the one that mentioned it earlier that our introduction, our theatrical introduction. Carbon copy with, with him and Denzel, 12 years old, sitting in the theater right? laughing like an idiot. <laughs> but that for, and also for me, it wasn't just the introduction to George. It was an introduction to Denzel. I didn't know who didn't, I didn't even realize it was Denzel until years later. Yeah. If, if I'm being honest as a kid, I, I didn't know because I, I, I saw the movie probably saw it on a double bill with nine to five with my mom and my brother. <laughs> Plausible drive-in situation. Yeah. Yeah. And Denzel's so killer in it. And he matches Siegel in a way you just, you could see his future. You could see his performance future, you know, watching. But can you imagine being so young like Denzel? And this is obviously, this is, this is a movie that got Denzel saying elsewhere, right? I would think so. Yeah. But watching him match, even at that point, a legend like Siegel and because fuck dude, 
I mean, how many we're, we're still like 11 years removed from a California split and that kind of thing. And we talked about George briefly during, during stick, right? How weird we both thought it was that they, those two had you know, had never worked together before. They weren't friends before they made that movie, but of course they had become friends after that point. But, but that's the kind of like, that's that lends to what we're saying the man was known by everybody and you, and he'd been around for so long. You just assume certain things about the man. Sure. I mean, I'm going to go do like, I'm just going to, well, I'm going to start way back. I'm just going to, I'm just going to rattle off some thing, you know, some titles. Who's afraid of Virginia Wolf? Mm-hmm. King rat. Yeah. Bridget Remagen, the hot rock. Yeah. I mean yeah. the run that guy, where's Papa. Dude, uh, you know, like I said, I knew who George Siegel was a lot long before I'd ever seen him. His name was familiar to me. I knew and I knew his face long before I'd ever seen, you know, him actually in something in a theater, you know, carbon copy. And then, you know, he would just pop up every few years, like you said. Yeah. Look who's talking. <laughs> Stick. <laughs> Right. Yeah, in all these movies that I love, and, and and he's great in every every time he shows up, he elevated the project. Yeah, like like look who's talking. I want to say at that point, Travolta kind of come back. Yeah, that was his comeback. Yeah, and this is probably Kirstie Alley's biggest hit outside of Cheers at the time, right? Like yeah. she she had just quit Cheers to go be a movie star and people were like, really? And then bang, look who's talking. And George Siegel is, you know, baby Mikey's father. And he's great. Those scenes with him, like you talked that, that scene where you first see him when he first meets baby Mikey. Yeah. Uh, God, that's so, it's so funny, man. He's so great in it. His face. You, yeah. His timing, always his timing. It isn't just live action too. I mean, he did, he lended his voice to, and during the nineties, lots of Nickelodeon shows. And he even uh, lent his voice to, to um, Johnny Quest's father on the real adventures of Johnny Quest for uh, a season. Right away. I was like going, why does that voice sound familiar? You give me something in the mid nineties. I'm well, George Siegel's well, you know, is well ingrained in my head. So I just hear the voice. I'm like, who is that? And yeah, yeah. Good stuff. And then, of course, that leads right into, for a lot of people anyway, the real concentrated exposure to him with Just Shoot Me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jack Gallo. He, dude. Yeah, man. This this time is where I became really familiar with with his comic timing. Because it's one thing to have great comedic timing on a feature film, single camera. You get something like this. Four cameras. Yeah, man. Yeah. It, and he fucking delivers, dude. It was, oh my god! And it, I mean, I, I don't have to tell you the cast is on the show. Even the 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 not just the reoccurrings, but even the guest spots. Everybody always came to play. Everybody had seemed to have so much fun on it, and everybody was oh man, amazingly funny. The two seasons I worked on that show are some of the, my some of the best times I had in this business. Thursday was a pre-shoot day. We'd shoot set, but our shoot days every Friday was like a party, man. And I looked forward to Friday like no other day ever. Like I'd never, like not since I had been a teenager, it was like, it's Friday, but yeah, it was for a totally different reason. (laughs) It was like, you got to go to, to work, get paid to hang out and watch these guys work. And what I could tell you about George is George was one of the kindest people I've ever worked with. Maybe, I mean, kindest people I've ever met, regardless, worked or not. Always friendly, always funny, 
never short, you know, even if he was having a bad day or, you know, they were rewriting his lines during rehearsals. He, and he just, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd throw something at him, he'd throw it out and kill it. One of the nicest guys I can ever hope to work with. You know, I, I would hope that at some point, like when I'm that age, people are like, Freddie was the nice guy, like that kind of nice guy. Right. Probably not. I've probably blown it already. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm just saying, man, uh, the two, like I said, the two years I spent on that show, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. That that way you're describing the, that him and be the kind of guy, as you told me in the past, he would come out and warm up the show with his banjo playing, warm up the audience before before tapings. Right. I, to me, when you see um, the Goldbergs and him playing Pops on that, he seems to be. I don't know if he's playing a guy named Pops. I think he's playing George Siegel and the Colin Pops in it you know oh, I, yeah. I really feel like that's more probably the one character that seemed to be the most him based on interviews i've seen lots of times on on carson's couch and stuff so to, to me that that that's what he if he feels like somebody that just recognizes the privilege he has to be in the business and the the and just the the, the energy enthusiasm he gets from just performing for people yeah, yeah, I mean Friday nights that you'd see him walk in, you know, early in the morning. You'd see, like, you'd see the oh, he's got the banjo, and you you knew it was going to be, you knew that you were going to get a, you know, it was going to be a special Friday because he'd warm up the audience, and because that's the thing that they do. Uh, if you're not familiar with live studio audiences, a lot of times they have a comedian, or they usually have a guy who that's his job. He's the warm up guy, uh, but on at least once a month, George would show up and the warm-up guy knew he was just, his job was going to be easy that night because <laughs> he didn't have to do anything except for stand there and enjoy George's banjo routine. And it, it was, it was, it was amazing. Uh, fun. The guy loved what he did. He loved people. He loved being in front of people. You know, one of my, my main job on just shoot me on shoot days was, uh, in the blush offices, everybody enters through the elevator because they're up on the 23rd floor, whatever. <laughs> so I literally had to open the elevator door every episode, several times, cued with a light from the AD and AD's panicking. Okay, okay, the kid's coming. And, and George would be like, I can hear her. <laughs> Do you want to tell her to stop talking so loud? <laughs> you know, and he's looking at me and I'm like, all right, George, I got to close the door. Cause there was a side trap door in my bag. All right, George, I'm closing the door. He's like, okay, don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I'd hit my cue and he'd magically appear in the office. Or, so, you know, I had a lot of interaction one-on-one with George there in our little elevator moments. And uh, a lot of the times it was, you know, top of the, you know, we get their dress rehearsal and he's like, how many times do you have, how many cues do you have here today? <laughs> or, or he would come in and he would ask me how my day was. I remember we talked about Gene Rayburn because I think Gene Rayburn had passed away, you know, on a shoot day. And he's like, you look a little down today. And I said, well, you know, Gene Rayburn passed. He's like, Gene Rayburn, what do you know about Gene Rayburn? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, I grew up watching match game. He's like, you don't look that old. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he was just a super kind individual. And, you know, he told me a nice story about Gene to make me feel better. He was a super, super guy who will be missed. It, it really, I, I haven't, 
talked to him. I think the last time I talked to him was probably around 2004, 2005, but it really kind of hit me. It hit me in a very hard way, Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday afternoon when I heard, and it really kind of bummed me out, man. It was like a little bit of joy was, you know, snuffed out on the planet, but you know, thank God we have uh, all this to watch and remember them by because he was a special uh, talent. Whether you're watching him in Just Shoot Me or the Goldbergs or Duchess in the Dirtwater Fox with Goldie Hawn, yeah. <laughs> you know what, whatever it is, you're not you're going to walk away. You're going you're to walk away with a smile on your face, and yeah. uh, I think that's you know George wouldn't 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 want it any other way. But uh, yeah, it, uh, it was, you know, the 22nd was a, was a bummer of a day, but you know, George will live on in you know, my, my, my memories and in, in, in his wonderful catalog of work and uh, just going to leave it at that. The thing that's a bummer um, about us, as far as wanting to see his work, he's got 126 credits as a performer and that's, you can't find all this stuff because a lot of stuff's not available anymore because he did so much television and right. even just these one-off, you know, t- lots of TV movies and that kind of stuff. It's just, you can't, you can't go down this list and make a spreadsheet and check things off as they come because you're most likely never going to be able to finish the list because his career is so vast. But there's so, like you said, we, we make, made some recommendations out there. And honestly, dude, all you got to do is if you see anything on his filmography that you have uh, access to then watch it because he's gonna fucking kill on it yeah totally yeah. No, you're not you're not gonna you can't really go wrong is no. what i'm gonna say uh if you do have hulu just shoot me is streaming now on hulu um and, and if you'd like to see the episode that mm-hmm. i spoke of with uh, jessica walter playing eve uh, the episode is called eve of destruction <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think it's from the second season but that is the episode Hulu has got. I, it's funny because last year during the pandemic, I watched probably the first three seasons. Um, it was a, something I burned through last, uh, last, last, that this time last year, I guess. And it brought a lot of smiles to my face because those, th- those would be the episodes I worked on. It was kind of like sort of revisiting a little, it was like a little time traveling thing. It, that stuff's on uh, on Hulu now, and you know if you're not familiar with Just Shoot Me, or if you only know it by the name, I mean it was one of the it was one of the uh, NBC must see TV lineup of the late '90s, early uh, 2000s. You know with Seinfeld and uh, Third Rock from the Sun. You know Will and Grace. We shot at CBS Radford, and uh, literally across the uh, right across the ba- out of the back door, across the alley from me was the Will and Grace stage, and directly across the street from us was the Third Rock from the Sun. So, like at any given time, you you could go from being inside with George and Wendy Malick and Laura San Giacomo and David Spade and Rico Colantoni. You could walk outside and run into Eric McCormick and Deborah Messing or John Lithgow and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It, it, it was a, it was a crazy time. You know, I was. 26 27 and when i started just shoot me and uh yeah man so it, w- it was a really fun time uh you know to work in television back in that era it was interesting too around that time mad about you was on the air yeah chris case one of the you know creators of the show also created a show called retired at 35 in 2011 that had jessica and george both in it 
it was a TV land show that lasted. Yeah, I remember that. A couple, mm-hmm. couple of seasons. Yeah, that was super. That's another show that was super funny, but they both passed in such a short window of time. You know, you're remembering like, oh my gosh, they worked together here and here. And then you start to look at IMDb and it's so, and you, you realize they worked together a lot. They worked together a lot more than just that thing you weren't aware of. <laughs> yeah. Retired at 35 was a really fun show. And I think it probably would have kept doing more if, you know, if it wasn't one of those TV, TV land when they were making TV shows. I felt like they were doing shows like kind of like Netflix, man. You get two seasons out of it and that was all you're going to get. <laughs> that was their model. Unless it was hot in Cleveland. Right. <laughs> Dude, when you get a cast like that, you keep going until they want. They don't want to do it Yeah, anymore. right. You just go until they're done. Yeah. And they're, they're, yeah, exactly. But there's a lot to dive into out there. Yeah, Retired at 35, both seasons are on Tubi. But anything to watch these two legends perform together, any chance you get. Like you said, you gotta, you gotta, you've got Hulu, you're, you got at least one episode ready to go but there's lots of either a couple movies did together just to kind of see something you're probably never going to see unless you have it in your mind right now to watch these two perform together like that yep we hope you guys enjoyed your dark disney month so we're really looking forward to this month with listener choices um are we gonna announce what they are the Patreon people know what they're getting, yeah, because they're the one they're the ones who posted them up. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and the thing is, like, the, the the accessibility of the movies is a little bit easier. You may own it, you may have to rent it. If it's something that we if we have easily easily accessible, then we'll let you know. If it's if, if there's something that we run into, a, if we decide there's something that might be hard to find, we'll let you know. Yeah, at least a week before. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fair. If you uh, want to follow us on Letterboxd, you can follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support us on Patreon, you know, those Patreon people we just mentioned, that's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. Thank you, Patreon supporters. If you'd like to follow Freddie, you can still follow me at Letterboxd under Tom Cody. It's Tom Cody. Sterling, you did the right thing. No, I didn't. I, I, the thing I thought was right, but not what people think is right. Well, maybe you're turning into people. But I don't want to be people. And I didn't want to be a grandmother. But say la vie, dear. Yeah, and say la child support. Well, just tighten your belt. My belt? You said you were here for us. I am, dear. But with the economy how it is... What? My money isn't. Mother, you're in a limousine. And if I wanted to sit around all day going nowhere, I'd be a teacher. Sorry, dear. I have a fitting. Ciao! Well, I'm looking over a four-leaf clover that I overlooked before. Boom, 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 one leaf is sunshine, the other is rain. Third is the roses that open the lane.